Welcome to Dram Talk. Pour a dram, take a seat, and let's talk whiskey. I'm Brad. And I'm Daniel. And welcome back to our second episode of the year. So far, we are on track for the recording. Yeah. <laughs> Regularity, we have promised. Yeah, we're on track. Second full Dram Talk episode of the year. And what do we have in store for you today? I think we've got something a little bit special you know we're looking at the scotch malt whiskey society while we are spending most of this episode talking about the scotch malt whiskey society they are by no means affiliated with the recording of this so i hope no one's assuming we are being persuaded to sell them we're giving you like kind of our actual like unfiltered thoughts about it i guess going straight into it you know our first impressions of the club so i know for me It was almost like I felt nervous joining the club, right? And I think the intimidation kind of comes from, you know, it's a a paid membership. It's not one that's free, right? We were used to the whiskey club, so which was a free membership and you just pay for a bottle that you want. Whereas in the Scotch Mall Whiskey Society, you pay for to sign up and you also pay for a bottle if there's one that you like when it comes out in their outturn, which is um, every month. But yeah, you can get reimbursed for your membership fee, I guess, depending on how much you buy. But yeah, no, that was, that was pretty daunting to me, right? And probably a reason for why I know I joined so late to the Scotland Whiskey Society. Because I, you know, I didn't feel worthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, like, I think we did speak about this when we spoke about the Whiskey Club early on, which, you know, early on in the pod was early on in our whiskey journeys. Yeah. Um, and I know one of the things I mentioned was, you know, that kind of almost the pressure you feel when you go into a bottle shop to buy a bottle of whiskey. Yep. If you're not too familiar with the range that's out there, and I feel like they're almost growing. Like the the range that's even held at our local bottle shop is growing almost like week by week, month by month. Like it's almost unrecognizable to what it was when I first started looking, having no idea about whiskey, which would have yeah. only been a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, that is that's actually a really good point. You know, it's it's really interesting to kind of see how I guess popular whiskey is becoming and you're starting to gradually see like the display shelves in like Dan Murphy's or BWS like slowly, slowly start to expand like every time you go. You know, it would be really interesting to do like a time series analysis or something, just seeing kind of yeah. the <laughs> expansion of whiskey and also maybe overlaying that with like the lockdown period. Because I, I want to say there's potentially a correlation between people staying at home, not <laughs> spending money on other things and therefore resorting to substances you can enjoy at home. <laughs> so um, anyway, yeah, like joined the whiskey club purely because I was like, I don't know what it is I like. I don't know what I want to buy when I go out. So let me just join this club. They'll tell me what they're going to give me every month. If I want it, I'll grab it. If not, you can pass. Easy done. I think one of the things with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is it almost takes that membership to another level where not only do you have to pick amongst a selection every month, which still gives you a narrowed down choice. Like you've still only got... um, I don't know what the average is. Like yeah, I'd say, yeah, I was, was going to say like 10 bottles, like on average, which again, 10 is significantly more than one or two, what we're normally used to, right? Exactly. And I think the whole point of the club comes in here where you don't actually know, or at least you're not immediately given the information up front, 
where those bottles are coming from. Each of their bottles is, I should say, single cask, cask strength whiskey. For the most part, there are a few exceptions to that, but they're all kind of labeled with a um, batch a and cask number. Yeah. yeah, it's a code. So it's a numerical code and the batch number relates to the distillery, which are the first um, couple of digits before the decimal point. Then the digits after the decimal point relate to that cask number from that distillery. So you'll know, for example, um, we've got two bottles in front of us. The one I've got that is from Scotland is 42.53. 42 is from the distillery and then 53 is the 53rd cask from that distillery. Yeah, and the one I have in front of me is... 147.1, which is the first bottle from Australia. We will get into that shortly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of roughly how it works. And so every month they release, as Brad mentioned, this outturn, you kind of get a little bit of a um, insight into what's coming out. That normally comes out a week beforehand. So you've got a week to prep. And then yep. that outturn day can be mayhem. Like, yeah. there's a whole bunch of people competing for particular casks and... It's just like kind of luck of the draw. You just like really hope you get what you're after. But I think that's also why they give you a selection because they're single casks. You only get a finite amount of bottles. So they obviously can't deliver every member the option to get every bottle that they want. So um, you have to be selective and you have to have some backups in mind. So a lot of this can make it, I guess, yeah, as Brad said, a little bit daunting if you're fresh into whiskey. And so... Um, that combined with the kind of membership cost was among the reasons why we held off for so long. And I think we finally made a leap. It would have really closely coincided with a year after we had started the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and I think was to kind of affirmed that leap was when we spoke to other people in the whiskey community mm-hmm. and everyone had such really good things to say. I remember like as you and I, spoke about whiskey together, then we kind of start to realize the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society itself, it really matched up with like how you and I view whiskey in general. You know, like the idea that it's made to be shared. You want to introduce it to people, kind of really show what whiskey can do and what it's all about and kind of just show off as well, like how much effort these distillers and these distilleries put into the spirit that you end up with in your glass. Yeah, and I mean, like, along that line as well, it also delivers that, I guess, almost like a smugness of having, like, an inside line directly to the distillery where you're getting a bottle that is basically as close to as fresh from the cask as you can get from, like, the distillery, completely unaltered by a lot of the intervention that happens to make whiskey marketable for the wider public um, around everything from boxes to labels to coloring to chill filtering um, to blending even like not to say that that's these are all bad things just these are all things that happen to whiskey to get them to kind of the you know that wider public marketable state whereas these you almost get to yeah get a bottle directly from a cask from the distillery when you've been with the club long enough and you get familiar with um, some of the codes, it's you get to know what you like from what distilleries you like and you can order that. And then if you had friends over, you can be like showing them the bottles they may be familiar seeing either from restaurants, from TV, from the local bottle shop. And then you get to pull out your kind of ambiguously labeled, really interesting looking, unique looking bottle that um, you can 
I guess, take, introduce friends to that next level of whiskey experience. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. I guess the word you chose where it's like unique, but it's, yeah. it's like unique in conformity because all the bottles yeah. are exactly <laughs> the same. So mm-hmm. then like when you're kind of showing them off, your friends are kind of just looking at you like pull like five just dark green bottles that all look exactly the same with the only yep. differentiating thing maybe being the uh, color around the top of the bottle, yep. which is kind of, which also kind of helps you gauge what kind of whiskey that is. You know, is it peated? Is it uh, sweet? Are you getting something a bit is more savory? Yeah. 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 So that can kind of help you as well when you're not so familiar with the codes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you know, as you were saying, I think I agree with you on that where it's, it's kind of the next best thing, say from doing a distillery tour and getting a get getting to taste it straight from the cask itself. Yeah. And like even along that, like I guess that kind of goes into another point is they have a lot of partner bars, um, not just around Australia, but around the world too. So you can find out which ones are their partner bars um, and then go and try certain bottles because as I think we've made quite clear, um, given that these are single casks, they are very limited in their nat- by their nature. And if maybe you're really interested in trying one, but you don't really want to go ahead and buy a full bottle, you can always go hunting down in the partner bars, which gives it that kind of other level of interaction with the club by going to the different bars that stock it because there's only a select amount of them and then trying to find the ones that you're interested in, tr- in buying. Or if you, you see some that are still available through the store, like I want to try before I buy, you can always go to the partner bars and see if they've got them there. The other factor to this is when you're looking at the bottles and like, as you mentioned, like they are, they all look the same because they're all the same shape. They're all the same hue. Um, and for the most part, all the labels look almost identical. And so for those people that know what the bottles look like, you can almost identify them like they're, they're amongst the easiest ones to pick out if a bar has it sitting on their shelves Yeah, in amongst all of the other whiskeys there. And so you're like, ah, oh, yes, this must be a partner bar. Let me see what ones they've got on. And you can, you know, explore what they've got and try them and... Yeah, yeah. And it, it's also like a thing to note as well. I think the whole... um that, that we did mention before where it's like the club itself is all about, you know, sharing whiskey experiences. And... Yeah. Um, we've spoken about this before and kind of was part of that daunting feeling of joining something or joining a society, so to speak. And that kind of word, you kind of think, oh man, everyone there is going to be super snobby. They're going to know so much <laughs> more than we do. And when you have a chat with them, they're not going to want to, you know, uh, get down into the weeds with you about whiskey. But no, like we said, the society so far, definitely matched up with our whiskey values if you can say Mm -hmm. that you know if you can even have whiskey values but i guess we do (laughs) um but yeah no and not only that but you know the society is just more than just bottles you know there's been a whole bunch of different events um we haven't really been to any as of yet but um daniel's been able to do um something that they do here in australia in the um in our branch here i'm not sure if they might be doing it overseas but um, we have some chocolate pairing as well. Yeah, so I think at least the chocolate pairings that we've done have been unique to Australia yeah. because the society, or at least the branches, like they have different branches around the world. So the Australian branch um, is located here, obviously, and they've worked 
quite closely with a um, chocolatier up in Brisbane. And so what they do is they provide him with, I think, five or six whiskeys that they've got coming out in the next outturn. And what he does is he then creates these chocolate bonbons that pair like specifically for each of the whiskeys. And so doing the pairing, you get sent like the five whiskeys with the five, or I think like 10 bonbons. So two of each flavor. So there's five bonbons in total. Um, and you do the whiskey pairing and tasting. And I mean, like if anyone's listening to this and have done it, like you would understand what we're talking about, but it is freaking incredible. Like the way this guy is able to do it, because not only do you do like the, alternate tasting of each they play off each other so well and i mean like i was skeptical when i first tried it but i was like yeah chocolate whiskey i'm keen on that like i'll i'll do it because at that time we're still roughly new to the club and happy to explore the different things and i mean like yeah i don't know it it blew my mind i went back for seconds on the (laughs) when he did another tasting the next year i believe they've also done a couple of other whiskey pairings so one of them was with like music one of them was with cheese like There've been there've been quite a few, and I think they will look at doing quite a few more of them in the future, just because it's been received so well. I can't speak for other branches around the world whether they've done similar things, but you know, for those within Australia, like it's more than just like you have options other than just buying whole bottles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and man, I guess before we even get into the drams for this evening, you know. Um, I heard you mention that the club is single malt, single cask whiskey. Um, well, you know, predominantly. Predominantly. <laughs> predominantly. So, you know, for our listeners who are a bit newer to whiskey, like what does that mean? Like why is a single cask so good? Or what makes yeah. a single cask unique? Or does it does it help flavor? Yeah, I think one of the things we should highlight here is being single cask doesn't always mean it's better than a non-single cask. Like some of the reasons why you have non-single casks is because the distillers who are in charge of making sure what they deliver tastes really good usually find that a single cask can be can lean a little bit too heavily to one flavor or another. Yeah. And so what they do is they marry that with other casks from their distillery. So it's still a single malt because it's still like made from whiskey from the same distillery, but they've just collected a bunch of casks. Some of them can be different types of casks. So this is where you can find mixes of like bourbon and sherry. And then some of them can just be different variations of sherry from different stages in that aging process. And so for the most part, when you see whiskeys on a shelf, whether it's like the standard release or a cask strength version, chances are it's going to be a mix of different casks from that distillery. The exception or the other option there is what this is, which is single casks. So that's where you go through the casks you've got aging, find ones that are hitting that really good sweet spot, and then you bottle it at that sweet spot, or you kind of track that and find that sweet spot, then bottle it there. So I think this is also one of the reasons why we can find kind of ages for these whiskies spread all up and down the the ranks. Yeah. I think I've seen as young as six to as much as in their thirties or forties even. Yeah, yeah. And I guess to kind of add on there when we're talking about flavor from a single cask and how you were mentioning before and we even spoke about it in previous episodes, you know, 
when you're when these distillers are making whiskey, it's like all about finding that balance. You might need another mm-hmm. type of wood to bring yep. that balance to the spirit. But I think where single cask can shine is the intensity of the flavor that you oh, get. Yeah. Where it's you've lent so far to one, I guess, side, which will obviously lead into very intense flavors. Or mm-hmm. if it's maybe not been aged well or the wood's not been so favorable to the spirit, it could maybe lean to the opposite side where it's just not singing or not that great. But from most single casts that I've tried, they've more often than not been excellent because, I mean, you're not going to put out a crap single cask. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> it is a bit of a selection bias there. The only single casks you're really going to try are the ones that they've already, like experts have already deemed to taste good. Yeah, exactly. But I guess another point to add is, I guess another reason where it was for us to join the club was um, us wanting to try more single cask whiskey to kind of delve into that a little more. But then when you're looking at your releases from your actual distillers and distilleries that you know and love, and you're trying to look, okay, have they released a single cask before? And they might've done one or two and they're, you know, very, very highly priced. Yeah. Um, and, and not only that, but they're pretty hard to find as well. Um, but then, whereas, you know, and just like you said before, the Scotch Mall Whiskey Society kind of gives you that direct line. So you get the opportunity to purchase a single cask from a distillery. I guess the only caveat being you're not going to get the um, that distillery's typical bottle and their branding and all that. But I mean, you forego that. And I think that's another reason for those codes as well, right? Where it's let the spirit in the glass do the talking. Mm-hmm. don't be absolutely led by a brand or a distillery that you know and love. And that's definitely yeah. something we found as well, where it's like, you maybe don't want to try something because you've had a bad experience with that distillery before. So then it's kind of in the bad books and you go, nah, never going to go back to that one. Yeah. <laughs> but the club kind of helps you break that kind of stigma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, kind of on what you said, and it's probably one of the things we should have started with. So when I first joined, I got the book who was that was written um, by the guy who kind of founded the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. So his name is Pip Hills. He wrote a book called The Founder's Tale. And he basically outlined that, broadly speaking, the climate around whiskey at the time lent heavily towards blends and his experience with it had not been great until he come across a friend or a friend of a friend who had a single cask bottle back when single malts really weren't a thing you saw and it was from Glenn Farkless I believe and then he fell in love with it and was like this is so good I need to share this with my friends because they can really get something out of this so he got a bunch of friends together they pulled some money together and then he approached the distillery themselves and this is again at the time when some distilleries couldn't get rid of single malts like it's just so hard to move that because the main market was driven was driven towards blends, yeah. And so you're able to get like a really good deal on an actual cask of whiskey. And so they bought that, they shared it, they divided it up. The friends loved it. They passed on word to their friends, and then before he knew it, he had so many more people coming to him asking for top ups on their bottles, and they had friends who wanted top who wanted to get in on it and get a bottle themselves as well. And it kind of just snowballed from there. That's a very 
reduced history on it, but the book's quite interesting, especially if you've even kind of marginally interested in whiskey itself. He's an interesting character and it is really cool to see kind of the history and the development of the society from that point. Yeah. Of its actual inception. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure I'm going to come grab that off your shelf. Yeah. One day <laughs> I stick my head into it. Because, uh, yeah, you've told me before that I should um, read it and I just haven't gotten around to it. In saying that, we're almost at that time and I think we should probably pour our drams and get into it. Right, so our first dram of the evening is a bit of a landmark moment for the society, right? And not only that, but probably a bit of a landmark moment for Australian whiskey as well. This is the first Aussie whiskey that's been bottled for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. So some people may have pricked their ears up immediately and been like, it's called the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Why are they bottling Australian whiskey? <laughs> I think this also can come down to unintended consequences and where the club originally started, which was in Scotland, and that's exactly what it was. It was the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. You could even say go as far as to say the Scotch Single Malt Whiskey Society. But it very quickly, as I mentioned, built up steam and started to spread internationally. Now, I don't know where it went first. The book may have mentioned. I just can't remember. I would probably say Ireland. And once Irish whiskey broke into that, then kind of all pretense of keeping it just to whiskey made in Scotland went out the window and they expanded beyond that. And they also don't just do whiskey. I feel like it's an important point we should make here. They have been... Um, rum um, and not just malt whiskey as well like there's even some grain whiskey yeah um so they they do spread outside of what the name may imply yeah no no that's definitely right like um i'm pretty sure i've seen gin on there before as well yeah. so you know all kinds of spirit it's almost like the spirit malt whiskey society <laughs> doesn't even make sense spirit yeah <laughs> um but back to our dram Oh, well, our first dream of the evening. So 147.1 Jacaranda Jam. So this is at 63.1% and a wee two years old. Now, you could probably guess which distillery it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think we should we should also kind of, as maybe a good point to interject and say with the codes, as I mentioned, like you can get familiar with the codes and what distillery they're from. You won't find officially anyone working for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society explicitly mention the name of the distillery. We have no hesitations to mention it. but So we'll get into it. We'll mention each of the distilleries we know or assume the whiskeys to be from. But it was made pretty clear through a variety of hints which one it was from. Yeah. And it's Archie Rose. I yeah. mean, who else, who else could it be? But yeah, pretty hefty 63.1%, like I said. And the it's a first fill, ex Apera quarter cask. Now, Apera is kind of like Australia's answer to sherry, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. so I think similar to Scotch, like it's whiskey made in Scotland. Sherry is that yeah. fortified wine made in Spain, Australia, that same 
the I'm pretty sure it's almost exactly the same type of process, except we just can't call it sherry, so it's called a para. Yeah, and this is a wine talk, so we could be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take it up with that podcast. <laughs> yeah, take it up with wine talk. This is yeah, talk. <laughs> um, speaking of which, coming this summer. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's just stick to our schedule first. Yeah, before we start wine talk. But no, so on the nose, incredibly powerful. Yeah, and 100% Archie Rose. Like, yeah. I don't think you were, like, coming from, like, all of the trials and exceptions that we've tried, which are cask strength Archie Rose, like, it's it's hard to mistake this. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of the benefit for us as well, where it's, we've had so much Archie Rose. I think we're mm-hmm. pretty familiar and pretty comfortable with their base malt. And not only that, but we really do love their base malt. And yep. a lot of those same notes are present here. But not only that, but they're almost dialed to 11, kind of. So I think on the nose immediately, it's very reminiscent of, like, childhood because it's like Cocoa Pops. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, so you do actually still get a little bit of a cereal kind of note, but it's definitely leaning more towards chocolate. So then when I initially think cereal, chocolate, Cocoa Pops is the first thing I go to. Which which does make sense, and this is coming from their what six grain mash bill. Yeah. So like, you can definitely still tell that influence here. Yeah, and you get a hundred percent get that. And as as you said, like turning it up to eleven, I would also almost call it raw as well. Yeah. Like it's like everything you'd know from Archie Rose as well, but there's like a rawness to it. Yeah, and even going back to like the trials and exceptions, where um we're used to kind of Archie Rose at cast strength, the trials and exceptions are typically bottled around fifty five. Mm-hmm. Even 50%. So this is a solid, almost, you know, 10% above that. Higher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, um, it's not strange that we're getting that intensity. And then you combine that with this being just a single cask. You know, it's just the, a recipe for, you know, being dialed to 11. And yep. not only that, you almost get those um, like wafer biscuits as well. The nose on this one, I just, I really, really love. I think towards the end, I get a little bit of ginger as well. Like the, the, yeah. the further I get my nose in the glass, I'm starting to pick out a little bit of uh, ginger. And yet I'm getting a bit more, I guess, woody characteristic or, you know, I can't say oak, but I don't know. It's just a bit strange. Like I'm getting a bit more of a spice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also getting... I would probably say Jaffa cakes, like that kind of chocolate, oh, yeah. orange, and biscuit as well. There is it, it, like that citrus note. It's very, very sharp and very stark. It almost has a good balance to the chocolatey note. Let's just get into the palate, right? Get into the palate. I think the the immediate thing, super mouth feeling. Mm-hmm. It coats your palate from top to bottom, and it's essentially all you can taste. Yep. I think even for me, the palate, Cocoa Pops follows through into that. And I'm getting a real like intensity where it's like, you know, when you finished the Cocoa Pops or you've left it sitting Mm -hmm. too long, then the milk turns chocolate as well. So you're kind of getting that. It's like super intense chocolate. That is like a hundred percent. That is like right at the back. Like it just filling your mouth in the same way that... Yeah, it does when you're finishing off the bowl of Cocoa Pops. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's um, You're definitely getting the dark malt. That's part of their um, mash bill or their six mm-hmm. malts. And 
man, it's just, and not only that, but it's not just the dark mods, but it's like they've been roasted as well. Yeah, I think like one of the one of the notes, the tasting notes was glazed ham, and like I'm a hundred percent getting that, like that Christmas ham that's been kind of like glazed in the honey, and it's super dark and sticky and rich. Like there's also that, that savoriness too, kind of comes in and rescues you from that overwhelming sweetness of the chocolate milk. Yeah, and as you kind of, I find like as I kind of swish it around, I almost get a little bit of um, passion fruit. Or like Pasito, that um, passion fruity kind of drink that we have. Um, mm-hmm. I, I often get that in whiskey. I don't know. It's really weird. Um, when I kind of uh, tie it to a more citrusy or tropical note, but that's what I'm kind of picking up as well. It's really, really weird because you wouldn't initially expect that when you kind of go in and you get that first hit of like intense milk chocolate. Yeah, and what I think it does, it helps ties in that, like, orange citrus from the nose, because I don't really taste orange on the palate. Yeah. But I think that almost passion fruity, citrusy, passion fruit tartness, if you'd call it that, yeah, um, works better with the flavours. Oh, it does, for sure. For sure. And I'd say the finish on this one's pretty long. Like, you feel like you're breathing it out for a real long time, and it's just hanging yep. around. Which I really, really like. The The finish is almost like a Turkish delight, I think. I don't know, I'm going to get like a bit of Turkish delight. But more of that darker malt is kind of still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for the finish, it feels very, or it tastes very fragrant to me. Like rose water. Yeah. But like, also... I don't know, like the aftertaste of, again, probably like a reduction. Yeah. Again, possibly related to the, the glazed ham, but um, almost bordering on tannic. Yeah. And I think overall as well, what I've really enjoyed is you almost forget this is 63.1%. Like that's insane to me. But yeah, no, it's very... You know, I, I don't want to say palatable because, yeah, you know, you can tell it is a very strong whiskey. Mm-hmm. But, but man, it just, yeah, it it's very inviting. I'll say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess on that, I am going to add a little bit of water. Yeah, um, I think I will too. For the, for the level it's at and just to see how much that alters the whiskey itself. So... I'll note that we have stepped up our whiskey tasting equipment. <laughs> I'm using pipettes and I've got a Scotch Malt Whiskey Society water jug here that I am using to deliver. I'm going to start with about two mil. Yeah, I've gone just a little bit more than you, three mil. And I think what it does to the nose to me is so interesting. It's almost turned into like perfume. Mm, yeah, that fragrant element to it is coming out. Yeah, and it loses that um, cereal and that chocolatey note on the nose, for sure. And it's turning more into, you know, you know, Persian spices, cooking spices. It's turning more into that. Almost yeah, kind of sh- what you typically expect from a sherry cask. I was going to say the sherry influence is a little bit more prominent there. All right, I'm going to try the palette. Yeah. I mean, like, the mouthfeel doesn't really change. There is still, like... It's enough that it can handle a couple of mil of water without really being impacted, without having an impact on the 
the way it feels when it goes in. Flavor-wise, <laughs> should have phrased that differently. <laughs> uh, I, I was trying so hard not to laugh. I was like, oh, God, phrasing. Are we not doing that anymore? <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> really should. Goddamn. Oh, well, you've said it now, but I'll save yep. you. Right. Um, I, I added three meals, like I said, and... I think I had a little bit less in my glass than you after I had that first mm. kind of sip because it's changed quite a bit for me on the palate. And I find that the um, that kind of passion fruit or pasito, that soft drink kind of note that I was getting is so prominent now. Mm. And it almost like feels like it, I can feel like the fizz from that on the palate. Yeah. What's coming across to me is those spices and the glazed ham. That is, like, so strong right now. And I'm in the spices. I'm almost getting, like, a aniseed or, like, like star anise. Like, cloves as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a combination between star anise and then the, the feeling of, like, a peppermint. You know, like, yeah. like a really cool okay. mouthfeel. Yep. That, that's so strong to me right now. Yeah. I think what I'm also... Picking up a bit more is a really strong kind of like root ginger. Mm, yep. As well. Yep. And what I find so interesting as well, like the water's brought a lot more warmth mm-hmm. to the whiskey. It almost feels as though the ABV went up as opposed to kind of going down. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It, it, it's really strange, but the finish as well, still a pretty long finish. It's just mm-hmm. that kind of um, chocolate milk from your Cocoa Pops that's gone. That that yep. is that has well and truly left the whisk now, um, but it's definitely significantly more fragrant on the finish, and a lot more fruity. Yeah, because it's now for me, it's now become like fragrant, spiced, and seasoned. Yeah, and like you said, it holds up really well with the addition of water, and you know it would it would have really sucked if it didn't. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but no, it holds up really really well, and um. Even going back to some of those other Archie Rose releases we've tried, I think they've all held up pretty well. I'm from past experiences, just from, I guess, memory right now. Yeah. They've all held up pretty well, even at like that 50 or 55%. So I guess you, you could say it probably wasn't really a surprise for us that this <laughs> yeah, one held up. No, no. We no. would have been more surprised if it didn't hold up. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, who's this dram for? Um, if you can get a dram of it, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> if you're, it's basically for anyone who's able to get a dram. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you are a big fan of Archie Rose, this is everything Archie Rose does just dart to 11. So you're going to love yep. it. Yep. <laughs> think if you've summed it up perfectly and, um, I reckon we should jump onto our next dram. Yeah. I think before we do I think someone wanted to say something about this dram. Good. This whiskey is. What? That was... From the force itself, <laughs> Yoda even said that this whiskey was pretty damn good. <laughs> Take that how you will, but <laughs> I, I do not want to disagree with Yoda. <laughs> right. So our next tram of the evening, we don't want to uh, linger too long on the remnants from the force. So <laughs> let us get into our next tram, which is another Scotch Molesky Society bottle. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, but it's a little different. Um, yes. Bucks the trend a little bit. Yeah, so we are looking at a blend. Now, Scotchmont Whiskey Society, as we have, I think, mentioned like a hundred times already, they really focus on single malt, single cask whiskey. 
yet here we have a blend, which is one of the furthest things from that. <laughs> not only just a blend, it bucks the other trend as well. It's a couple of yeah. tasks as well. So yeah. it's not <laughs> just the one trend that we're bucking, it's the other one, the whole shebang. <laughs> yeah. So you'll very rarely see these come up. I don't think blends are a staple of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society in the year and a bit that we've been members. I think I've only seen two. One... Oh, there's there's been another. I think we've seen three. Possibly three. Yeah. yeah. Whether this one's actually available now. At the at the time of recording or release, I don't know. Um, we got a bottle of this through kind of like a promotion that they ran towards the end of last year. And it was like an initial advertisement for this one, which was to come out at a future date. So we've managed to get a hold of a bottle and I think we'll just get into it. Yeah. So this is Smokus Fruticosis. Um, 50%. So far cry from the 63.1 where we were at before, but this is... But still but still magnitudes higher than what you would normally find a blend. Yeah. And uh, 10 years old. So a mixture of casks. This is combination of bourbon, PX and Oloroso barrels, butts and hogsheads. So pretty much every cask you could want in a whiskey. Yeah, and we've mentioned it's petered, so it's comprised of malts from the islands of Isla and Orkney. So, some, some of our favourites. Some of the best petered whiskey you can get is sourced from Isla and Orkney. And wait, wait, wait. Someone's just got... Once you start down the petered path, consume you, it will. That's... Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty right. Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> yeah, that... that, that couldn't have said it better myself. Um, um, yeah, and like for anyone who has already been a member, you would know that there are certain Isla representatives that disappear very quickly from the once the out turns are released. So this is probably one of our better chances of being able to try a variety of Isla and Orkney distilleries through the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society all in one bottle. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I wouldn't even try to take a guess at who these distilleries are. Orkney, I'd just throw my hat in and be like Highland Park, just for the sheer size of Highland Park and having the um, the production to be able to give the society enough whiskey to yeah. be able to blend. Um, and I mean, if I was to hazard a guess as to which Islet distilleries, based on what I've seen from there, I'd probably say Kalila is um, like among the top contenders. Bowmore is another one I've seen pop up quite a few times. Um, there have been the rare Lafroig, um, but I have yet to seen a Lager, Ardbeg, Kilcoman. Yeah. Like, so, um, some of the, the top Isla ones that I love, I haven't seen them, like at least single bottles from them, um, become available through the club. Some of them may not also... I guess we should say, like, the club don't do every distillery that is out there. There is only kind of a certain number of distilleries that uh, contribute um, casks to the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Yeah, yeah some they, more frequent than others. Some more frequent than others, and some are still even joining, and some are returning. Like, there, are, I think there was a couple that they've, like, welcomed back distilleries they had worked with for quite a few years. So, um, it can always change. But anyway, let's get into this dram. Yeah, I think the initial thing on the nose straight away is those kind of dark fruits. But yeah, you're right. Dark fruits is is definitely there. There's almost like a um, 
like a briny seaweedy note. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the closest thing I can think of when I think of like Isla and Orkney is more so along that briny, maybe even a little bit of iodine. I can kind yeah. of pick that out. Yeah. But and like almost like cracked pepper. Yeah. I'd say they're the main things jumping out at me at the minute, right yeah. from the glass. All right. I'm going to jump onto the palette. Yeah. I mean, like, I can't remember the last time I've had a blend, but if I was to blind taste this, I would be hard pressed. Like, I don't think I would call it a blend. If we're if we're thinking solely about blends in terms of the the broader brush strokes it's painted with, um, it's usually associated with kind of smoother, rounder flavors, a little bit diluted, a little bit sweet. Um, You'd say a little more commercial. A little more commercial, yeah. I do find the palette of this, though, like, in saying that, it is quite sweet. Yeah, I was just about to say, the really distinct thing that I find from this particular blend is that, from a peated whiskey anyway, is Mm. how sweet it is. Yep. Like, that's the first thing you get. You don't get the smoke initially. You don't get the peat initially. What hits you straight away is just how sweet this dram is then you get a little bit of spice dash across your palate then a bit of that smoky characteristic starts to come out it's almost kind of like a paella yeah yeah no for sure but yeah a really interesting dram it's even like a little bit of like dr pepper Mm -hmm. on the palate so yeah really interesting I think that what really took me by surprise is just the sweetness. Yeah. And I will say, like, at least the way I interpret the sweetness from, like, a sweet single malt versus a sweet blend is I find a sweet blend, um, like, that sweetness in there is along the same lines of, like, a no-sugar soft drink or a zero-sugar soft drink where you've almost got that artificial sweetness as opposed to, like, that natural like quote-unquote natural sugary sweetness which you know how natural that is it's like yeah it shows up for debate but anyway like i find though this to not really taste along that same vein of artificial sweetness as other blends i've had before it is a nicer sweetness but even saying that like i still don't i don't overly enjoy sweet drams but i i guess the peated element of this is saving it for me not to mention the abv as well like having it at 50 percent does not hurt no the for me the sweet kind of drams that they're in my wheelhouse i do really enjoy them but i actually find it does really marry well with the smoke that comes through kind of towards the end there and as the more vegetal characteristics of the peat start to come out I mean, they're very much in the background. That w- yep. I wouldn't say that's a defining characteristic of this dram. But yeah, the finish for me is probably like a bit more of a medium finish. Mm-hmm. But still a really mouth-filling dram. You kind of get a little bit of like honey chicken kind of yeah. on the finish. Then, yeah, the smokiness kind of wraps it up real quick and Ushers it off the stage. Yeah, that smoky finish. It's a little sharper, which kind of 
does work to counter that sweetness. So the sweetness here, it interchanges and plays with the smoke a little better. Like they swap places and you don't, it's all like jarring when they do, you know, it's a little more melodic, a little more in tune. Yeah. And I guess this would kind of go into who this dram is for. So I've kind of got like a two-part answer, Yeah, you know, when it comes available. It's probably for that person who, you know, absolutely loves, I guess, like a range of whiskeys. But, you know, if you're a member of the Scotchmont Whiskey Society and you usually stick to the non-peated whiskeys and maybe you haven't had too many good experiences with peated whiskeys, it's a really good one to jump into to see whether you actually can be can be swayed in there. It's kind of like a transitionary dram where you go from like something that is more predominantly sweet with an element of smoke. But as for when I think I would be drinking this and if anyone's looking like, you know, if I buy a bottle, when would I drink this? This is probably my dessert dram. I'd pour a dram of it after dinner, pair it with some ice cream. I think it'd work a treat. Yeah. I actually really enjoy this one. It's one like I could go back to and be pretty happy when it's like at the end of the day and I'm pouring a dram. I'd be pretty happy with this one. Yeah, leading into our third dram, which is the first bottle I got when I joined the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I got it because it is from Tobermory Distillery. It is peated though, so I guess you'd call it Lechegue. So it's called Mulmental. It is 60.2%. It is 12 years old. And it is... The cask is a refill ex-bourbon hogshead. Yeah, and for all the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society nerds out there and all the newbies, the code for this one is 42.53. So 42 is a distiller's code, and 53 is the 53rd cask Tobermory have done for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Significantly more than the one that Archie Rose had done. (laughs) Immediate thing you get on the nose is just... Yeah, all the reasons you love peated whiskey. Yep, and I get, like, specifically British fish and chips with the vinegar and the salt. Yeah, that's interesting, because I more get, like, almost like a bit of, like, prosciutto, like cured meats. Yeah, 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 no, for sure as well. Almost like that savoury meat. (laughs) Yeah, not only that, but it does have a really nice citrus note that's very much in the background picture or imagine what I'm getting, it's almost a bit like Ardbeg 10. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and definitely turns more into almost glazed ham. Like, I wasn't getting that at all in the Archie Rose, but I'm definitely getting it here. A really, really good nose. It just keeps ticking all the boxes. Yep, yep, for sure. All right, and drop it under the palette. Yeah. Now again, another one that sits in the 60s, but does not feel like that. Like, it is... A lot easier to drink than it should be at that high an ABV. Yeah. I think what gets me is how, like, mouth-watering this dram is. Yeah. And it's almost like I've had incredibly salty salt and vinegar chips. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, eating them and then you feel, like, the saliva just starting to form. Build up. Mm -hmm. And build up in your mouth and across your palate. Initially, that note of the honey-glazed ham does come through but that's very yep. much at the front and it dissipates really quickly and it turns more into that salty vinegary characteristic and not only that but it's incredibly savory and it almost gives me that kind of same umami feeling that i was getting from Mortlack. yeah no for sure 
And I think like an interesting thing about this is none of our tasting notes have really mentioned peat or smoke, but I think that it is a really good example of how distilleries can really balance that and not just kind of rely on the peat and smoke to be the main characteristic that pushes it through and drives I guess, like, people to enjoy it because they're after that. And it's one of the things, like, kind of when you've been away from peated whiskey for a while, coming back to it, coming back to a really good one, you kind of get that satisfactory, you know, hit of those notes that you have you really enjoy in whiskeys. And I think, like, from every note that we've mentioned, kind of accompanying it or, like, holster it, like holding it up has been that peat and smoke that sits there enough that I feel like if it wasn't there, it would be drastically changed, but... It is there and you almost like just need to remind yourself that it's there because there is so many other flavors going on here. Yeah, no. And I think the way you've described it is really, really good in terms of the earthy characteristic, like the earthy peat and the kind of like engine oil and iodine. The iodine is not really present, but they're there on the finish mm-hmm. and they let everything else play out before it. And not only that, but this harks back to one of the older episodes from season two where he mentioned how peat presents itself in so many different ways. It's not just earthy. It's not just smoky. It's not just medicinal. It can be so many different things. Yeah. And this really shows that, I think. Even on the finish, that lemon characteristic or that citrusy note still kind of carries through. And then it starts to bleed more into a sour characteristic and it's so interesting how well everything marries together and i think like another interesting thing to note is i wrote down some notes when i first cracked this bottle for posterity for the fact that it was our first cultural whiskey society because i wanted to capture my initial impressions and um like i'm just doing the same thing now i said like like wrote down like once I cracked the bottle, like smelling it directly from the bottle, I was getting campfire smoke, maple bacon. Like it was very reminiscent of Ugadal. But once I had poured it into the glass and took a nose from the glass, it changed drastically. It was a lot more fresh, citrusy and salty. And as we've also mentioned here, like, like vinegary as well. As it kind of opened up, we started to get some of those characteristic lechegue Peated elements coming through, a little bit of engine smoke, and then honey glazed meat, lemon, and salt. So I think it is interesting how this one's played out. And I mean, like, it's a testament both to the Scotch Rock Whiskey Society and to the distillery that produced it. Yeah, for sure. It just kind of goes to show as well. I remember, like, far back when we first ever had um, Tobori and Lejeg, how much we loved that salty characteristic that was present in both of those drams. It's really, really good to see that it does carry through into this. And I keep going back to that prosciutto and that cured meat characteristic because that saltiness is just so present and it really sticks with you. Yeah, I have been enjoying this too much and have not yet added water. I honestly don't know if this needs it. But also for the sake of consistency throughout the episode, I am going to add just a little bit. And given how much I have left, I'll probably just add like a mil or half a mil. Yeah, I've added about a mil of water. And I think the definite change on the nose 
is iodine. Yeah. No, like straight up, bring it up. I'm like almost taken straight to Lechegg, like iodine, uh, very mechanic car shop kind of smells <laughs> or old boathouse, like oil soaked rags, engine smoke, like some of the notes that I think are very characteristic of Lechegg. Oh, and on the palate, that iodine is so strong. Yeah, no, it really, really is. Like, to me, this is almost a completely different dram after having adding the water. Like, we were saying all of those flavours were kind of held up and given centre stage before dissipating into the peaty elements at the end. Like, it seems like the peated elements are mainly what's there now. Yeah, it's it's really turned more into typical Peter Dram. Yeah. What you'd really expect. It's almost like those notes on the finish really, really pushed through and got their way to the right to the front. But I still really enjoy it because it's yeah. it's like two drams in one. You're getting a really, really umami peaty dram first. You add a little bit of water and then you're just getting more of the classical peat notes and characteristics that you already love yeah no absolutely and i was thinking exactly the same thing like adding water to some of the other whiskies especially the ones we've had tonight it's like oh yes that has changed it like undoubtedly changed it but it's more elevated these flavors changed this flavor linked this flavor to that flavor whereas adding water to this seems to almost create give you a whole other dram and it gives you more of a peat smoke forward dram Whereas prior to adding water, it was very much those other citrusy, salty, savoury meat flavours. Yeah, I, I almost even get like a bit of mustard on this as well. There, there definitely is a heat that's present in the dram now that wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, it's super, super interesting how water has affected the two single cast single malts that we've had tonight. Yeah, no, for sure. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and for who this dram is for. It's really hard to do these for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society or it feels really unfair to do these because these bottles aren't really available. But it's so diverse and that's really just should give you all you need to know about it. It can really appeal to people. Like if you're a lover of peated whiskey and you have friends who either don't like it or aren't really that into the idea of peat and smoke as a flavour... Like, just straight without water can give them, like, a whole other experience about how peat can be used as a component that works with every other flavour in the dram. And then it has the added benefit of, if you're a peat lover, to just add a little bit of water and you get, like, an all-out peat-forward dram. So, it's really diverse. It's really flexible in how you want to use it. Whether this is characteristic of all 42s in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society... I don't know. I've only bought one 42 bottle because I've been interested in trying other things. I can say I have yet to be disappointed by a Tobermory or Lechegg, so I will also be keeping my eye out for future releases. Yeah, and, you know, I don't really have much more to add in terms of who this dram is for. Man, it's a really, really good Peter dram. Now, I think we have covered this quite thoroughly. I don't know if you have any final remarks, Brad. I think if I was to give some pros and cons about the society, it's allowed me to try a range of whiskies that I don't 
normally have access to cask strength versions of it. And even that, then you've got the single cask. So you can really see, the, I guess, the, the difference in magnitude from whiskeys from standard releases to cask strength to single cask, cask strength ones. So I think that's really good. They've had some of those, um, like the chocolate pairings, which have been absolutely exceptional. I don't think I've ever had or will ever find anything like that outside of it. So there are so many good options to it. Among the cons for me would probably be how hectic it can be to buy bottles, like that outturn day, especially if there's some that you've got your eye on. If they're within your price range, which I will say like there are quite a few bottles that come out that are just like, I like, you know, I cannot justify buying that on my current current salary. But some of those that do fall within my price range or even just like dream bottles that I'd love to get, they can go so fast and it can be very hard to get your hands on what you're after. I think we could also get into it in a couple of other um, future releases, but there is there have been some bottles where I'm like, this needs water for it to move into a level of like actual real enjoyment for me. I find some of them a little bit too much, but I think that's also the nature of single cask whiskies. Like they can't really do much to alter what it is once it's reached that point. Yeah. And it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying in terms of like that intensity of flavor. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a absolutely. single cask, you've just, you've gone all the way to one side. So you're all in yep. essentially. <laughs> so it's just, you're going with the notes that you're getting from that particular cask and you're not allowing any balance in terms of another cask to help mellow something out or help some other notes kind of sing or come to the forefront. So yeah, you, that's one of those kind of trade-offs that you have with single cask whiskey. But if the other side, of course, if you're thinking about the intensity of flavor, single cask is, you can't go wrong with it, I think. No, absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't think I have too many other faults. Like all of my interactions with the Scotchmore Whiskey Society have been great from experience with bottles I've bought, I've received to the customer service when I've needed to contact them has been fantastic. Um, did you have anything else to add? No, no. I think your pros and cons really aligned with mine and summed it up pretty well. And I guess in saying that, probably all we have time for for this episode. So as always, you can reach out to us at dramtalk.au at gmail.com or if you're so inclined, slide into the DMs at Dramtalk Podcast on Instagram. You know, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe even your experiences with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society or maybe you'd like to reach out and hear a little bit more before you take the plunge off the deep end. But if this episode was anything to go by, it's well worth your time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. So if they are, you know what to do. Pour another dram! Once you start down the peated path, consume you, it will.